0: Hello and happy 2021 to you all. It will be nice to look back at 2020 as a memory. But onward we must go. And today we have Bailey Kowalczyk, who is an elite trail runner based out of Boulder, Colorado. And Bailey is a newcomer to the sport of trail running. But she has already established herself as one of the best trail athletes in the world. With a 17th place finish at this year's Golden Series Championship. And during the episode we cover just exactly how impressive that finish is. And we touched on that uh, quite a bit throughout the episode. We also talk about what to do and what to avoid when making the transitions from the road into the trail and also the perils of learning how to be the health, healthiest version of yourself and how Bailey has really committed to that goal in recent years. So I love chatting with Bailey. She had great insight. She had said a few things that really had stuck with me personally that I've been able to kind of put into my own training already since speaking to her just a few days ago. So, And just a quick reminder in terms of housekeeping, we will be doing regular Reinforced Running podcasts on Mondays and moving Torque Talks to Thursdays. That way you can get a double dose of training, talks, and interviews each week. Super exciting. Also, if you want to get your dry January on, you can head over to Athletic Brewing and grab some delicious NA beers. Use the code RICHR20, get 20% off your first order. I believe it's just your first order. Then after that, pay in full price. Sorry, but the first order is a pretty sweet deal. I like the Run Wild IPA. You can taste like it is hopped, but they don't go crazy on the bittering end, how they can do that sometimes to just kind of really mask everything. and has some nice balance there, and it hits the spot. It really does, I must say. And I also really like the company. They're also releasing really cool styles of beer. So I always try to grab the new special releases when it drops, and they're always solid. So that's also kind of fun. All right, enough. Here we go. Bailey... Kowalsik, what's been the best part of 2020?
1: You know, 2020 has been interesting. I really, in the beginning of the year, I started to get this weird negative mentality, which doesn't happen too often, but I was like, oh, all of my races are canceled. This was supposed to be my year, my first really full year diving into an international and national trail scene. So I definitely got down in the dumps a bit, but then things really took a turn and I tried to make, make the most of the situation. So The highlight would probably be qualifying for the Golden Trail Championships in Portugal. Never in a million years would I have imagined that that could happen, especially in a pandemic. And it did. So that that was really exciting. The day that I qualified and got the Skyline FKT, my coach was out there and his wife was out there and Johnny, my boyfriend, was, was running it as well, and, and he didn't have a great day, so he ended up hanging back to run with me, which was just so amazing. It was really nice to kind of have that community feel in a really safe way and still be able to achieve what I wanted to achieve.
0: Man, and, like, that experience is one that is, was not shared by very many people and, like, almost, like, can't be. Like, it's very unique experience to have had in a year like this.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I honestly didn't think that they that Solomon and Golden Trail would be able to pull this off. I really thought that I was just going out there for an FKT, and that would have been great in itself. But the fact that Portugal happened, and it happened in a really safe and amazing way, I am, I am so grateful for that. And it's definitely a unique experience that I've never never going to forget, but
0: yeah, really cool. Well, I do have a lot of questions about that experience in particular that I want to get to, but so we will get into all that. I want to talk to you about some of your training and some of the mindset and again, kind of coming, how you've come back to running and, you know, kind of your journey to where you are now, but once just give us a a quick uh, idea of who you are as a runner and as an athlete.
1: Yeah. So I'm Bailey and I am a trail runner in Boulder, Colorado, training and living in Boulder, Colorado. And I actually started out as a track runner and then progressed to the roads and just felt like something was missing. And And we started training kind of just a base season. We started training on the trails a bit last March. I was training with Andy Wacker, who's a trail slash road athlete. And I fell in love with the trails so quickly and it progressed really rapidly, and I fell in love. So, yeah, that's that's what brought me here. And and
0: yeah, so that transition's interesting. And like you came off right from the bats. Like I'm a trail runner, and that's kind of one of the questions I had. It's like, how long did it take you to transition right into it? Because you came from more of a, tra- a traditional running background, right? Like track, mm-hmm. cross country, road stuff. And you found your groove right in the past couple months, anyway, as a, a trail runner. So are you are you all in now?
1: Yeah, it's so interesting because I was actually thinking on my drive here, I was thinking, I was like, shoot, should I say I'm a trail runner? Am I a trail <laughs> and a road runner? Or what? Am I a Solomon runner? Like, maybe I should just be big. But, you know, I definitely identify as a trail runner now. My heart is 100% in it. I definitely want to jump in some roads every now and then, but that's just not where my identity is anymore, even though even though I was traditional for so long and it was such a rapid 180, it's just it's brought so much joy, and I've had so much fun with it, and I've seen so much success already. So I, I think trail
0: runner it is. Trail sure runner it is. So what inspired the change, like from road traditional back background of running into the trails?
1: After a pretty rocky college running experience, I really told myself that beginning to run competitively again, I needed to do things for me. I needed to do things that excited me, that made me happy. And something about the roads just wasn't cutting it. I, I, it still felt super cutthroat and it felt very like I was forcing numbers on myself and I was mm. just holding myself to this ridiculously high standard when nothing was ever good enough. And then racing the trails and running the trails, I was able to let go of all of that. Like I truly enjoy being out there and running fast and I feel so free. And that's just, that's like been so nice for me to be able to let go and still crush it and do well because obviously that's important but yeah yeah
0: and that's one thing that I I think about sometimes yeah because when it's road everything is you know pace like hard set numbers you know where you where you stand now you know wh- where you stood like a year and a half ago where other people are was that part of and like like I said kind of having a rocky collegiate experience and then moving out of it has like the lack of numbers been nice Or is there, or are there different numbers that you kind of look at now?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, the lack of numbers is definitely freeing. Unfortunately, I am a human that grasps on to any number that I can. So of course (laughs) with trails, I'm like, okay, what was the great adjusted pace? Like, okay, I'm going miles or I'm going time. So there's always going to be a number in the back of my head. But the difference is that, especially in races and FKTs, the miles and the numbers, they don't really mean anything. So it's Mm -hmm. really, it's effort-based. It's, you know, you just go out there and give everything you have on that day. And that's something that excites me more than any 800 meter time or split or yeah. Yeah.
0: So almost like the shifting of goals. Like what is it? What is a successful outcome, right? Like, is it how hard you pushed or is it what time you finished in? You know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I feel like success for me now comes with, it's kind of multifaceted. So it's like, how hard did I push? Did I feel like I gave it everything I had? Did I actually enjoy myself? And hmm. then obviously did I do well? Did I get the record that I wanted? Did a podium? Kind of depends. Lately it hasn't been podiums, obviously, but lots of FKTs. That's right. cool. Yeah.
0: And then making that kind of transition what and from a practical standpoint, just from like your training, what numbers, like if you were gonna tell somebody who's new getting into trails, like okay, don't have to worry about pace anymore. Like what is like a number that you use or that you think would be helpful for someone who's kind of making this transition into it and and, and still needs that like hard piece, right? Because I, I find I struggle mm-hmm. with that sometimes. It's like, am I getting faster on these trails? Like, I'm actually not sure. It feels like I'm pushing hard. It feels like I'm giving where I, where I am, but I want to know that it's working. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know?
1: yeah. Um, so I would say time. Time is, is mm-hmm. important. So for me, it's like, there will be different segments um, or different mountains or peaks in Boulder. And you can set yourself, you can kind of set a standard based on how long it takes you to get up this certain peak. So you start and finish in the same spot. And for me, it's kind of a good, it, it's a good starting place. It's like, okay, it took me 35 minutes to run up green mountain two weeks ago. What does it take today? And and that's a great way. It's kind of, it's similar to track. You're still timing yourself, but you can't check your watch every five seconds because you're not going to know which rock is 300 meters into the run. But at the end of the run, you you know whether you're progressing or not.
0: And when you're doing these type of check-ins, are you going off of a relative effort? Like, will you be like, okay, I want this to see how fast. It took me 35 minutes at like a 7 out of 10 effort. Or are you going out and and having specific type of benchmarks that you're like kind of set up to do like a time trial effort, like mm-hmm. how you would do for like a 5k on the road or something like that?
1: Yeah, so it kind of depends. I mean, for something shorter, like under an hour, I usually just send it and I don't really think much about it. But for something a little bit longer, I typically I'll use heart rate a little bit or I'll, and effort would be around the same, same thing. But for me, I have to use heart rate to kind of check myself before I wreck myself, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Was that, because did you use heart rate on the roads or has that been something you've been trying to get into now?
1: I used heart rate, I really, I only used heart rate in the last year and a half since I met my boyfriend. He's very, he focused a lot on heart rate. And so I tried it when I was on the roads a bit, but the problem is, is that I have a pretty low heart rate. And so mm-hmm. in order to get it up to where I thought I wanted it, I'd have to be running way too fast on the roads. So it's definitely more practical on the trails to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And does your heart, cause I'm the same way. Like if I go off of, you know, my math or whatever, I'm like hammering. Right. It, like, Hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this doesn't seem right. But does your heart rate get elevated quicker on trails? And I'm guessing a lot of your trails are like, you gaining a lot more descending or like losing some just the total elevation is a lot more. Have you found that your effort from a heart rate perspective is higher on the trails?
1: Yeah, I'd say, especially in the uphills, like it's pretty helpful to have the heart rate because I can see how quickly it's getting up. Or if I'm like completely maxing out in the beginning of the run, then I can kind of take it back a few notches. It's way more responsive on the trails to me than it is on the roads. But
0: yeah, so it's nice to have it a little bit then, right? Like having something to to base off of. Exactly, yeah. So when, when did you decide or like how, like going into like your first type of real trail race? It was relatively recently? Yeah,
1: so my first real trail race, I would say was BAR, which was North American Skyrunning Championships last July. Yeah.
0: And was there was there any type of qualification to get into there or like to just kind of have to.
1: There wasn't a qualification. No, I was working with Andy Wacker still. He was my coach. And so he kind of helped get me into the race. But yeah, yeah, so that was.
0: So how did that feel going into that type of big race with your like your first time going at it coming from a pretty high level runner in, you know, on the flats? What was that expectation like for you?
1: I felt like such a noob on the line. I I was so nervous being with this group of amazing girls. And it was really scary. But at the same time, it felt so power, like I felt so powerful. And I was super excited to get out there and see what I could do. It didn't end exactly the way that I pictured it. Of course, I pictured it being this exciting, like, win, because that's always, that's always the mentality going into it. But yeah, it was it was really scary on the starting line. I was definitely wondering what I was getting myself into. It would be the longest race I'd ever run and not a flat race. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And when it's the longer in duration and then you're adding trails, there's a lot of uncertainty and like things can go wrong that might not go wrong on, on the road. Cause there's much less room for error on the road. Mm-hmm. So what happened in the race?
1: So, well, I didn't know that I had gone into it with a stress fracture in my Ugh. sacrum. So that, that was the first kicker. And when I got, so I was climbing and I was climbing in close second, which was really exciting. And downhill is kind of something that I really, really enjoy. So I was super excited to, to turn around and start coming down. And when I turned around to start coming down, my legs started giving out quite frequently so i i basically fell down the entire mountain and ended up <laughs> with a fully broken sacrum and two and two completely wrecked knees with like 25 stitches or something absurd but
0: oh my god that much yeah. <laughs> oh, so you like really fell yeah, there's, there's you didn't scrape your knees no <laughs> and was it an effort thing or was it partially because of the injury that you had sustained and was it something like neurological just kind of like shutting you down
1: yeah so my the the break in the sacrum hit my sciatic nerve and so (sighs) it kept my legs were literally giving out on me and it was so hard because it was hard on my ego at the end because people were like no trips happen all the time I'm like no there's something wrong like that is not normal. And, and no one really believed me until I got an MRI and was like, like okay. she's new. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, you are a noob." <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so that's actually happening to you twice, right? The sac- the, the break in the sacrum.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately I, it was a little more minor this last time I had a stress fracture in May and that was, that was kind of a, a kicker, but that one we think was related to, I wasn't fueling during any long runs because coming from the track, I really, it just felt so unnatural. And so I was kind of being a hard headed athlete about that. And with <laughs> female athletes, it's so important to fuel on long runs. And that was something that I just was not doing at all. So everything was just out of whack and, and
0: yeah. Cause it does seem like a strange spot. Like it's like a, your tailbone.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, where I had, it was kind of where, if you can like, it's basically in the SI area. So on the back of your pelvis, that's
0: okay. Um, yeah.
1: So it wasn't in the middle of the tailbone. It was on, I had one I on see. each side. So I, I think I'm over that now.
0: Okay. You, you It's evened out.
1: Yep. I'm balanced.
0: And is, so were you thinking that that was a bone density issue? I mean, I, it was clearly some sort of bone density yeah. issue, but like, was it because of a, a nutrition uh, deficiency or was it like wear and tear like what do you kind of put that as
1: um I would definitely attribute it to a nutrition thing so one of the reasons I left Clemson was because I struggled with anorexia and it was a really toxic environment there for me and it just it kind of I fell out of love with running which is really scary and I developed a really bad relationship with food and my body. And so that has definitely come back. And And I was really healthy during both of these injuries, but I think that my body was still reaping the benefits of, I mean, the benefits was still kind of getting hit hard with the past, my past, unfortunately. So bone density, while it's on the climb, it kind of reminded me that I just have to be aware of my history and, and keep taking care of myself. Cause
0: like the, the feelings that can kind of reemerge with this, it's, you know, there definitely are, are pieces of that that are just within the culture of running, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Like, what is that like for you now? Like when you have to kind of remind yourself of, of like taking care of yourself or or, like, do you have triggers that are, that are outside that you can internalize and be like, okay, I understand what's happening now. Or is there something constantly that you're having to remind yourself so that you are taking the proper steps?
1: Yeah. So I'm, it's definitely a constant learning process. It's I feel like I'm I'm always going to be learning more, but there's definitely triggers especially in the running world that that make me become more aware and most of those seem to be rooted in the road running world unfortunately, so that's definitely a big piece in like really feeling like I can be my healthiest self in the trail running world, but I think The other reminders are really just, I mean, both injuries, those were huge knocks to my athletic career, my ego, to everything really. And, and I don't want that to happen again. So when, when these thoughts creep in, which they do, that's, that's kind of the first place I go is like, okay, well, I can listen to these thoughts and I can end up just where I was in May, or I can kind of work through these thoughts, reach out to, to someone close to me and, and not be on an injury train forever and really achieve the goals that I, that I want to achieve.
0: Yeah. I like that. And like, so you found that having someone to confide in has helped with those. Like when you're feeling those, those type of, those things pop up, you'll reach out and kind of like express what's happening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I let myself isolate for so long and that's not a good way to heal. It's not helpful at all and it's not healthy and and having johnny my boyfriend around has been so helpful. He's super supportive. He wants to understand, he wants to help and he wants me to be my best self, which is which is just amazing.
0: Yeah, and having that support system has to be huge and just like knowing that it exists, right? Because it is something that's so easy to to push down deep. Like I had my own like kind of struggles throughout college with the same same kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like performance started being poor like my weight was an issue because of it and then like like how we were just talking before it's like all that was like kind of tied to self self self-worth right you know and then and then for me I would just feel like silly I feel stupid right Like I feel like that this is something I had to deal with what was it like when you needed when you decided to kind of like talk talk about it
1: it was really hard I am not good at talking about myself in general, but I'm not good at talking about kind of the inner workings of my brain, the things that are hard, the things that I I want to keep pushed away and bottled up and the things that aren't perfect. And that was really, really difficult. But, you know, I, I started feeling this weird pressure building up every time I saw an athlete, actually, Amelia Boone is the first person I can think of. And she so she had come out with her eating disorder. And I Johnny had approached me about it. And, and I just couldn't keep it in anymore. You know, it just felt like, it felt like pressure was building up inside me and it was starting to get in the way of my relationships and it, it made it a lot easier knowing that there's other runners that I can kind of relate myself to so that I don't feel like I'm kind of putting myself on this stage and telling him kind of just unloading my baggage. So it definitely, it was nice to be able to, to be able to compare to other athletes and stuff. It's not ideal that there's so many athletes that have dealt with this, but
0: no. Right. Cause it is something that is extremely common on the female side and even on the male side more in, in mm-hmm. these in these endurance-like endeavors. What do you think – I've actually never thought about it to the point. Like what should – what do you think we can do culturally to, to like change this conversation?
1: I think – so I think there's a stigma around what athlete – what endurance athletes should look like and what they should eat. How they should eat, how much they should eat. And I think it's obviously not something that's gonna change overnight, but I think that those four things are definitely the things that need to be addressed. Athletes come in all shapes and sizes. I've seen, I've seen really small humans and bigger humans win world championships. I've seen, it's it's just crazy. Like I've seen people eat like the diet that everybody basically the anti-athlete diet, and I've seen people eat only vegetables and i've seen both fail and both work so you know it it's i just think that balance is key and i think that that needs to be stressed more especially at the ncaa level i think college is a big it's so unhealthy and i think that i don't know if it means bringing in new coaches that actually understand the language and what needs to be done but i'm super passionate about about Figuring out how to change something in Division One running because it's it's hard because I don't want to discourage these young girls from going or young boys too from going and running in college, but at the same time, I, I also hate seeing the same story over and over and over again.
0: And it is it it happens repeatedly. And like you're right, like crazy idea. It's like how about better coaches? I
1: know <laughs> no, it's like I I know I'm not the only person that's thought of this.
0: But. No. Yeah, exactly. But that is, it's so true And that there's no nutrition, like the, a coach doesn't need to be versed in nutrition in any way. And, and really it's a complicated issue if you're not going to kind of steep yourself into it. You're you're not going to understand it. And like, no matter what, like you only know what works for you. And that's kind of what a lot of these college coaches, that's who they are.
1: Right. Like, this is what I
0: did. This is what I've seen do. Just like do this. Yeah. Like, duh. So yeah, I would, I, I agree. I think that there should be something and at the same, sometimes I struggle with this as well, though, because I know if I was trying to talk to myself as a 19 year old or something, I'd be like, "No, you really need. This is really what you should do." It's like, I'd would I like,
1: listen? Yeah, right. it's very really hard to figure out. Like, I think, an, I don't know. I, I was talking to someone the other day about this actually, and I think another thing that could help. Because yeah, some some kids just won't listen to that. But I think another thing that could help with the coaching is different ways of incentivizing them. So something that I was thinking was like, okay, you get a bonus for having X athletes go on to be professionals, versus mm. you get paid strictly based on immediate results. Because Off your, athletes, top seven, yeah, right. these athletes aren't caring about your longevity. I mean, these coaches aren't caring about your longevity and. And I really think that it would be better because my program, we only have two people that are still running of the entire program. And it's a, it's a really great and well-known program, but people burn out and they hate it. So I think that it could be helpful to incentivize differently.
0: That's interesting to incentivize based off of what they do, what they're doing after, like, are, do they still, are they still involved in running? Are they, yeah. Are they professional athletes? Like, yeah. What is it like, what's a better for the actual student.
1: <laughs> right, right. Like what's going to keep balance in these athletes' lives? Because when you're 19, let's be honest, you. Ident- I feel like when you're a runner, your identity is running. So it's just you need that support system. You need somebody to, to help you balance it with other things as opposed to kind of supporting that one-dimensional lifestyle.
0: Yeah, and that, that opens up from – just the nuts and bolts of the nutrition side. I know I had a hard time like figuring out like quantity. That was a, that was like for me that was one thing's really kind of opened up on the nutrition side of things. It's like oh, I not only should eat, th- I can eat this much, and I should eat this much in order to 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 perform better to lose weight. And it was like way more, right, than like what I would what I would have thought in my own head. And I was mm-hmm. I was coming from it from a very like quality standpoint. It's like, well, if I just eat like vegetables and just like clean protein, like I should be I should do well. But I just wasn't in a proper balance of things. Mm-hmm. But on the opposite side, like it can be really hard and to get people to, or I know I had a little bit of this myself when like trying to log everything. It can kind or like kind of ch- checking the scale also can be a little bit of like a slippery slope into like a negative consequence. So what did you find on your end when you started to really kind of be your healthiest self? Like what worked for you? Like, was it more like the intuitive eating or did you need to like really have it like, like I know you used to grasp on numbers, like did it need to be numbers based for you or what did it, what what worked?
1: Yeah. So I know for some people, so when I first kind of tried to switch things around and, and create, a healthier me. I tried to use numbers in a more positive way. So I was using numbers for a while in a very negative and, and disturbing way. But I tried to use numbers to keep myself accountable. So like I'm going to make sure I have this much. But you know, that didn't seem to help because like you, I was underestimating and I just become really obsessed with numbers. I love numbers. So really let going in the let, letting go of the numbers was what helped drag me out of this so I kind of had to let go of that and I wouldn't call it intuitive eating as much as eating more than I'm comfortable eating because intuitive I was talking to my coach about this the other day and he was like well intuitive would tell you that you're supposed to be eating like 2000 calories a day or whatever. But unfortunately, the amount that athletes have to eat is not intuitive. It doesn't make sense to most people. But you just have to do that to sustain what you want to do. So really, like, I just try to eat more. And it's it's really just keeping myself accountable. So at first, it was like, okay, I'm going to eat my three meals. And then I'm going to make sure that there's three snacks throughout the day as well. And then it's kind of just like making sure I fuel every long run, making sure that I have food within an hour after running and so it's kind of just a series of steps of accountability and it's not perfect um it's not perfect at all but it's also really helpful to have a significant other that's a that's a runner and a really healthy runner because i get to see in real life like okay that is a ton of food but his injury history versus my injury history i'd prefer his so yeah
0: and he doesn't have the collegiate like runner background right so he doesn't have all yeah. this shit dumped on him I, exactly. he
1: doesn't have this horrible he was like super confused about why this like, is so prevalent and now he's, yeah exactly <laughs> now he's he, he's actually really passionate about about promoting that healthy relationship because he never really he dealt with it a little bit in soccer but yeah it's it's just crazy it's crazy
0: yeah and i like that you did like the intuitive part yeah because we're right like that would mean like, oh, you would eat when you're hungry and you're burning so much that your body would tell you that you need to keep eating. And maybe it will to a certain extent, like, like but have been in, in different indicators. So when you had to get comfortable eating more, like, what was that like? Was it, eat, did you, did you struggle?
1: I struggled a lot. Yeah, I really struggled a lot because I don't have... Like, I wouldn't say that my hunger cues are like, you need to eat at all the right times. So it's definitely more of a constant reminder thing. And it's just battling these voices in my head telling me that I don't need this and I don't need that. And X, Y, and Z in the past would have told me that this is stupid and you're going to get fat and you're going to get slow. And, you know, it's just this constant battle. But the thing is, is that like the, the longer you do it, the easier it becomes. So... Yeah, I think I think the initial step was really scary and I um didn't enjoy any of it, but <laughs> now I like I definitely feel like I'm on solid ground now.
0: Cuz it's like okay, well, if you want to, you know, lean up a little bit, you want to lose some body fat, you need to eat 500 more calories a day. It's like this doesn't make any sense. How could that possibly work? But yeah, I agree and my hunger cues come for me, they come at like night, like during sleep. If my yeah. sleep starts to get wacky, then I know I'm like I'm I'm under, mm-hmm. um, which isn't yeah, that helpful. Good,
1: yeah, it's, it's a good indicator, but it's also like, well, of course, I'm not going to eat at 1 a.m.
0: Yeah, but. it's like, oh, my sleep is terrible now. But at least I know it's like, okay, well, I guess I'll eat more tomorrow.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it definitely, it, it was a work in progress. But like I said, I started out using numbers as an accountability. So that's kind of how I increased things. At first, and then once I knew that I was at least um, in the range that I needed to be calorically, then I kind of gravitated away from numbers and tried to tried to maintain that same amount in a way that was less obsessive.
0: And then you can see how it feels, right? Because your body's going to feel different, like, right. once you start eating.
1: Yeah, it's crazy what happens when you actually have energy too. It's like you can <laughs> move mountains. <laughs> it's yeah, it's really nice. <laughs>
0: And that kind of leads in really well because we touched about a couple times just like the – like your 2020 had this awesome race like just a couple of uh, months ago. What – right? Just a couple weeks ago from now?
1: Yeah, it was um, Halloween.
0: Halloween week. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that was like the Golden Series and it was like this crazy multi-stage – race so could you just kind of tell us a little bit about that like because this was something that i had not heard of and i'm i'm not necessarily in the hard in the trail world mm-hmm. and since I, I have realized that the, the golden series it is a pretty big deal but this was something special put on for 2020 correct
1: yes yeah so typically the golden trail series is like five to six races you have to run three of them in order to be in contention for the final stage so basically if you get top 10 in Like if your overall ranking is top 10 in the three races that you run, you make it to the world championship for the golden trail. And this year, since every single race had to get canceled for golden trail series, they wanted to still make a championship event. They took it above and beyond a one race championship event and decided that they were going to do a four day stage race, uh, kind of like the Tour de France, like that's kind of what they were going for with the style of it. But the way that you qualified was that they had different Strava segments around the world. And I think there were four or five in the US. And if you got the FKT for that or the fastest known time for that Strava segment within a certain date range. I can't remember the exact date range, but if you got the Strava segment before October 1st, I believe it was, then you got kind of an all-inclusive trip and race to Portugal, which is where the, the four-day stage race was. And luckily, one of, the, one of the segments was in Boulder, Colorado, so I didn't have to go anywhere for it. It was a run that I had been hoping to snag the FKT for a while, and the Golden Trail segment just kind of made it a little more competitive, which was great. And it made it really fun because there were kind of people going back and forth for a while. And yeah. Yeah.
0: And to clarify, it wasn't, could you, if, okay, the FKT was whatever time it was. And then when they rolled out this competition, was it as many people who broke that current FKT or you had to hold the FKT to go? Like, so if you ran it and you said it and someone ran it tomorrow and broke it, or do you both go or just no, it was crazy.
1: So it's basically the fastest person on October on or before October 1st. So like, for example, Johnny had gotten it on like the first day it opened. And then two days later, someone else went and two days later, someone else went. And then like three days later, someone else went, I went two days before the closing day because I didn't really want to be running it a million times, but yeah, it got, especially with the guys, it was very, very back and forth with the girls. it was, I think Sarah Cadlick had it, and then I ran it during a training w- run and got it, and then Brittany Charbonneau took it, and then I took it back. So it was kind of it was just this like back and forth. But yeah, getting second place unfortunately didn't mean anything.
0: Wow! So it was like several races. Like so, it's kind of what they did, right? They 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 gave they made it so you had to almost run several kind of efforts to then qualify for their their world championship. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people just ran it once and were in, but like it kind of was a little bit of a, a season there. Yeah. And then so going to the event, there was four days of racing, right? Or four different stages?
1: Yeah, it was four, turned into four and a half. They were pretty sneaky, but there, so basically there was a prologue, which you had to run in order to get a spot on the line because they had everything kind of separated for COVID. So you had to, there were like cones that were all six feet apart from each other. So basically you wanted to run well the first day on this prologue, this like mini course in order to get a spot closer to the front so that you didn't have to deal with like navigating through people. So that was the prologue. That was probably, it was a little less than a 5k so it wasn't too bad, but it was like straight up and straight down. Whereas I was getting all excited because I was like, Oh, a 5k, it'll be flat it was not flat but no. <laughs> it was like a giant staircase but then there were 4 days and it was they were all between i'd say like 14 and 22 miles with anywhere from like 3000 to 6000 feet of elevation gain
0: so these are big days and like set up back to back that way what what was your preparation like to prepare for several big efforts (laughs) that like all out all out (laughs) four days in a row
1: yeah yeah so it's interesting because the way they set it up the closing window like the window closed on October 1st and the event started on October 26th so it didn't really give you much time to really create like a super solid perfectly planned foundation unless you're Jim Walmsley and run a million just miles. Ready. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we did a few weekends of kind of back-to-back long runs. So I would do like my normal Saturday long run with a workout in the middle, and then the next day we'd do another long run with kind of a workout in the middle. And and that was really all we could do. My my volume was there to be able to sustain it. It was just to me it was intimidating because every single race was longer than any race I've ever run in my life. So I was a little bit. It was nerve wracking, especially knowing that they were going to be back to back to back to back and knowing my injury history. Of course, I was a little freaked out going into it, but my coach assured me that training was there. My body was definitely ready to to handle that and it ended up working out.
0: And this was hands down the most competitive race like in the world this year and you ended up top 20, right? What was your yeah. overall race?
1: Yeah. So I ended up top 20. I was 17th overall. I was kind of, I was kind of bummed because I, I was holding 10th the first two days, and then I got, I believe it was 14th, the third day, and then the fourth day was just an absolute, it was carnage, and it was horrible, but it's a great learning experience, and I'm really grateful to be able to still come out so close to such top athletes. These girls are amazing.
0: Yeah, and I did have a question about that, because yeah, you were 6th, 11th, then 14th, and 29th, so as it went, like the places got a little worse each time. Yeah. So what do you think you could have done different with it with like a longer lead up or what do you think would what, what do you think would have helped do you think it was a lead up at all or do you think it was something actually like race day specific or was it just kind of how the cards so, felt?
1: that's a great question uh well the last day was definitely how the cards fell my my foot completely blew up in the middle of that race and i ended up like wogging my way down the mountain partially because i was afraid of injuring myself uh, more and partially because it was super uncomfortable and I was having flashbacks to that first race I told you about so -hmm. that it was definitely like I it was the best climb I'd ever had in my life I was holding on to like fifth sixth place and the downhill kind of was just terrible so that was kind of that was just the cards it was it was the day that I was given and you got to take it with in stride but the other days like I don't know. I think so I think a lot of it came down to transitions like from so my climbing was really strong and I the second and third days I lost a lot of places on downhills. So on the climbs I would hold somewhere between 6th to 7th place and then the downhills I would just kind of lose a lot of that and it wasn't really speed and it wasn't really effort. I think a lot of it is fear and experience. So Experience meaning like I think if I had a longer training buildup, I would run a lot more downhills hard, I would kind of practice those up to down transitions in a harder state. And I would give myself a little more confidence because after the so after the injuries in my back, it was terrifying running down this like gradual gravel road where you can feel every single pound. So I think like, I think if I had a longer buildup, it would have given me more confidence to run those downhills with more purpose. But in the actual race, I don't think I would have changed anything. I was really proud of the way that I ran. And and my mindset felt, for the first time in forever, felt so rock solid. In college, I was kind of a head case before every race. and And this was four days of racing in a row, and I never, ever... Like my mind never went to a really negative place. It was just kind of like, okay, it's a new day. We're going to embrace it. My legs are really sore, but we'll see what happens. And and it worked out. It worked out every day. It was just, yeah, it did get, I guess on paper, it got progressively worse, but it gives me hope for a single race in the golden trail. Yeah.
0: For sure. Yeah. A couple of things with that, because I noticed that about the climbing as well. Like your climbing was super strong and the results for this thing is they're awesome. <laughs> like yeah, you can bring it out
1: so like, great they were so really, really well done
0: yeah like they had and like there was a sprint thing and we can talk about whatever that because I don't even know what, what that means mm-hmm. but yeah I want to touch about I want to talk about the mindset a little bit but also I want to talk about like the fear of like downhills and coming from the road and then going into trail and running at such a high level was that something that was present right away has this been something you've been working at to like kind of chip away at or is it just like some circumstances where things are just extra scary and <laughs> like, you might not have had practice because I struggle with this. Like I don't do well with downhills because like, I just don't want to die.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, downhills, like I love downhills and the, the more technical the downhill, actually, the more I enjoy it. Pretty opposite of the typical road mentality, but I absolutely love running downhill. And that's why I was so shocked at the race when this happened, this kind of came up none of the downhills that I feared were really trail running as much as just like dirt roads, like fire roads, maybe. And I think I know enough physiology to just know what's going on in your body as you're putting as you're kind of running, because you heel strike a little bit more on downhill by nature. Uh, And so I I just kind of like, was picturing my sacrum and could not get it out of my head. So um, I think that's something where because it was it was really only two and a half months after coming back from the injury was this race. So I think with a little bit more time training and a little bit more time running downhill, that would have gotten more comfortable. But yeah, that that wound was still open. So metaphorically, and,
0: and that's and it has to be illuminating, right? That there there are going to be races still, and there are going to be challenges presented to yourself. Like that being, yeah, a, a gradual like fire road as a road runner. I thought you would just be like. Licking your chops, ready to crush it. Exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Piece there, that. So, would you practice on those then, or are you just? Was that just not worth it in your in your mindset?
1: Yeah, I think like looking back because I've done a lot of evaluating, and I think I don't think I would go purposefully run straight down a fire road for days. No, but I think that. The longer I have away from the injury, I'm just running more downhills consistently. And I'm getting more and more comfortable um, running fast on downhills. Because we do do workouts where it's like rolly terrain. So I'm running up and I'm running down and kind of everything in between. And I think that that helps a lot because usually I don't think when I run downhill. But yeah, I think it was just too soon for that. It just, it just It didn't feel worth it in the moment. I was like, okay, this is great. I'm I'm in an awesome spot. I am so excited to be here. I'm so grateful, but I really don't want to deal with another broken sacrum right now. So I'll give it what I have, but I'm not pushing it past that point.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And then, so in terms of just how you would approach it, just letting the volume take care of it, more or less like just having long, longer periods of training where you're feeling comfortable going up and down mm-hmm. and the volume in general just kind of make you feel more secure or, or make you more secure, you think?
1: Exactly. Yeah. The the way my coach trains, we do, it's a huge variety of stimuli. So I never feel like I'm missing a piece. And so I, I never feel like I have to be super, super, super specific. He'll, he'll tell me leading up to a race if he wants something really niche. But typically we run enough varied terrain and varied workouts and that I'm typically prepared for anything from a road 5k to a stage race, apparently.
0: But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so with that wide range of of stimuli that you would be taking in, is that typical in terms of a progression? So it wouldn't necessarily be something like a linear progression in your training. It's more a like being prepared across everything and just working making getting your your general fitness and your ability to run on trails as high as possible. Or is there set progressions throughout the training?
1: I would say that there's progression, but it's not. It's not a typical. It's not periodization. It's more like there. There's different variables every single week. We do hills. We do intervals. The long run's always there. It's just different terrain and different. I cross train a lot, so I feel like it's. It's not your typical road running training, but there definitely is progression. There's hmm. progression in volume, progression in intensity.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just kind of presented different. Like, yeah, because that's another thing where I'm talking about before. It's like coming from the road. It's like I want to know this is working. So it's usually like okay, you do a 400, then you do like an 800 or yeah, whatever you
1: can like see the ramp. Yeah,
0: exactly. And you can feel it. You remember what it felt like last week? Is like oh, how's it going to go? And you and you hit it again. You're like oh, cool, this is working. Was that different for you coming into trails, or do you kind of what do you do you like that style of training better? I
1: love this style of training personally. I don't know. I think, so for me, I can feel when something's working. So, so like the progression, I'm like, okay, I feel super heavy today. I feel horrible. But then like two weeks later, I do the same thing. I'm like, you know, I feel really strong. I feel powerful. So that's definitely a positive. I also really, I don't know. I just like the different stimuli because I can keep the roads in my life but I can also train on trails. It it gets weird sometimes in the winter, but yeah, yeah, I definitely, I love this style of training and I I have so much faith in my coach that, yeah, it's been amazing.
0: And so like the kind of a whole system that you, that you're working within where, you know, you're, you're, you have complete trust in your coach and you enjoy the training and you can feel that you're getting stronger. Did that lead, do you think that was a, direct correlation to why your mindset was so much more rock solid? Or was there anything that you facilitated this year or going into the the race in Portugal that really helped, like with that positivity that you talked about before? Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I think I definitely attribute a lot of that mental positivity to my coach. Mm-hmm. He, I really, like I said, with Clemson, I just haven't had a great experience with coaches in the past especially male coaches unfortunately and my coach right now is male and he's just amazing he's the most positive human in the entire world and it just keeps me he really keeps my love for the sport high and that's what's most important to me right now and and it's just been it's changed my whole relationship with running but also my results have gotten better so it's kind of a double positive
0: positive. Hmm. and do kind of the same thing we we're talking about before with some of the disordered eating like does the does do the negative thoughts start to kind of come back sometimes like do you have flashes into what it used to feel like or are you feeling that they're like you're just good to go now
1: i like to think it's good to go but the flashes are definitely present and and they're loud sometimes they're really loud but the good thing is that i feel like i have this really open relationship with my coach and and when these things pop up i usually share it with him and he's pretty good at shutting it down immediately in a way that's funny and realistic and relatable. So that's been super helpful because I can kind of laugh off a lot of things that I used to, to take so seriously and take to heart. Instead, I'm, I'm learning to, to like acknowledge my irrational thoughts and recognize that they're irrational, but also take the higher road.
0: And is it the same thing? Does it feel good to just speak them and then be like, Oh, okay. I, I, I heard that <laughs> I hear yeah, what I'm saying now like
1: saying it out loud. That's like, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> but, but really the hardest part is saying it out loud. So sometimes I'm good at that. And sometimes I'm bad. I can't say it's perfect because Johnny will yell at me and tell me that I'm a liar, but <laughs> because <laughs> he sees, he, I mean, he sees every single day and, and, you know, it is a struggle, but, but yeah, it's definitely speaking it as hard as it is, is key.
0: Yeah, and it's also hard You just worry about people because t- it's your own personal experience, right? So if you speak it and someone is instantly like being like, that's like like telling you no, then it makes you not want to speak it, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm really afraid of haters.
0: Yeah, pe- pe- people that right. hate. Um, I know.
1: I'm like very afraid of, I forgot what they call them on Instagram.
0: Trollers. Troll. Trollers. troller mm-hmm.
1: I'm very afraid of that. But luckily, I haven't um, had that.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> um but that's cool that that sounds like everything is is headed in a really solid direction and it's a good a good message too just to like have that you know being able to spin it positive in in a positive light and you mentioned winter really quick because i'm curious about this as well what's winter training look like for a trail runner
1: yeah so well boulder is pretty inconsistent with its weather so you know, we can run trails throughout the winter at different times. Like yesterday I ran trail today, obviously I can't, but so it's kind of unpredictable in a non COVID year, I would kind of travel a bit. So we would travel Moab is like six hours away and there's not usually snow there. So you can travel there. Johnny also, he lives in the San Francisco Bay area. So we would travel there and, and kind of run some California trails, like just do some, some training trips. But for the most part, I, I actually focus a little bit more on roads in the winter mm. and kind of developing that speed because you really need the top end speed for trails too. It definitely translates into power. And believe it or not, a lot of road runners have extremely good trail potential. It's just a matter of kind of turning their brains down for the technicality component. But yeah, so I really, I, I focus on developing speed and kind of getting fast. And then last year, what I did was I ran a fast or the the beginning of this year, I guess I ran a, a USA 15 K champs on the road. Hmm. So I'll run my, my fast road race in kind of the beginning of the year before the trail season starts. And then the Boulder trails are clear really early. So I'll get back on the trails and training for the season.
0: Is it fun to get back to the speed work and is it like pretty, pretty standard speed stuff? Like threshold work, you know, seven-minute interval type of thing. What's
1: Yeah, so it's pretty similar to what I used to do. The difference is that it's not on the track. I typically do it Mm. just on, like, flat dirt road. And typically, it's, like, fartlek style what we do. But it's very – it's, like, 5K effort stuff. It is a hard transition in the beginning. So, like, when I – I think it was three weeks after Portugal, I, I started doing more road stuff again and I felt like, kind of like, if you were to watch like an, I'm trying to think of a really slow and like, awkward animal, <laughs> like a hippo or something, but I'm not calling myself fat. And just like, like watching that hippo try to run. Objectively intervals.
0: slow. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Objectively slow and clunky. That's how it felt. But it, it's really quick to come back. And I think it's just a neuromuscular thing and getting your legs to understand that you're trying to get them to run quicker again
0: but yeah because i think this is a barrier it just it's less fun once being on the trail for so long that coming or if people spend a lot of time in longer distances marathon ultra marathon like coming that low like 5k based stuff is just not fun yeah is it more of an ego hit or is it just actually just like hurt and feel worse
1: the 5k stuff
0: yeah like when you have to transition down with the hippo running
1: for the hippo running. No, you know, like I, I love the fast stuff. There's still something in my heart that loves to go fast, but I think the reason that I don't like the transition so much is because you're, I think your legs get accustomed to climbing more and just moving in different ways. And then you try to get them to move super quickly and everything feels like you're running through quicksand. So it just hurts and it becomes lactic super fast. And I'm not entirely sure why that's something that I need to read up a, a little more on, but yeah, it just feels really painful and weird when you come back. But I kind of love it. So
0: yeah, yeah, it's good. Like I said, breaking out like getting out of the comfort zone and just working on these things that will still help, you know, just right, right. And I think it's another hard hard pitch for people. It's like, no, like your five K pay or like your 10 K time will make you a better trail runner. And it's like it's hard, it's hard to envision how or why. But just being well rounded, just being able to be able to change things and go after different events, I think is a skill in itself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely, that's a goal of mine. is to be able to kind of run some fast road PRs while I'm labeling myself as a trail runner. So I think, because I think that, that, that sends a message like you don't have to be super one dimensional. I mean, people like Grayson Murphy do it as well. She just ran a crusher, a crusher uh, half marathon. And, and she's also, A world champion trail athlete so I would say that that it's possible
0: yeah I'm trying to do the same thing for OCR it's like just because like road runners they have this thing about them they think they're so fast and they think like people that aren't on the roads it's like oh you're not fast anymore
1: yeah exactly you can you can do both and you can excel at both
0: which is awesome so coming recently into to competitive trail running What do you think, and if someone was going to try to make the same type of move, what is a mistake that you see people make or something that you may have done that you would steer people away from doing?
1: Checking pace on the trails. (laughs) That is something that I scared a lot of people away when I first started running trails because, and scared away meaning like training partners, people that I just wanted to run for fun with because I would just run the uphills way too fast, like, threshold fast and then run the same exact because you know on roads you're running the same pace Mm -hmm. for for a run whether it's uphill or downhill it's just harder on the uphill and it's easier on the downhill whereas on trail you want to keep kind of a steady effort Mm -hmm. so you're you're just by default going to be going slower in the uphills and a little bit quicker on the downhills and so something i would just let go of the pace go for time go for miles but but the pace like, yeah, you can check Strava afterwards and great adjusted pace is great. That's, that's amazing. Unfortunately, our watches can't tell us that in the moment. I would, I would be excited if they could, but yeah, I would, for for new trail runners, let go of the numbers a bit and and just enjoy what you're doing. Enjoy the scenery, enjoy the feeling. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a great one. How long did that take you to, cause take you to kind of Break from that because you know that seems to be like the spirit of trail running is like hey this is just great to be out here. Mm -hmm. Um, Did it take you a minute to just stop with the pace, or did someone have to be like you shouldn't, you really shouldn't check?
1: It was a combination of things. So Johnny was like, you're running trails like a road runner, and you don't need to sprint the uphills. Like you don't need to check the pace. It's there's no point to doing that. So that definitely made me aware of it. But what really changed things was running up some of the peaks in Boulder. So there's a bear peak is a common one. And it's like, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's like 2.4 miles and 2500 feet of gain or something. So it's basically like a glorified hike. And so Johnny was like, okay, we're going to run up this. And I'm like, okay. And of course you start out trying to keep the same pace. And then it's impossible. You're running like running like 19 minute mile. (laughs) So that definitely made me, and I got the FKT on that one. But if you look at the pace, it's like the most unimpressive thing I've ever done in my life. So that was kind of a wake up. It's like, okay, I'm competing with some of the best trail athletes out there. But this pace makes absolutely no sense and doesn't look fast by any standard. So you kind of just have to let go of it. And sometimes it takes running straight up a mountain to,
0: to
1: <laughs> yourself that. But yeah,
0: I guess it's a good to just dive into the deep end. It's like, all right, try to run this one, see what happens.
1: Yeah, it's like, I'm going to die trying. But let's
0: see. <laughs> So now you've had some some good training under your belt. What do you think, like going to 2021, like say that it, it's gonna happen like what do you need to do to take uh, your results even to the next level
1: oh my gosh I have so many goals this year I well I want to run a 50k so that would be the first thing in in March way too cool 50k is a big one so that really excites me but I also want to I want to do golden trail series so i want to try the series this year and see how i can stack up with individual races that's a big that's a big one because it's an international scene and now that i know that i can hang in that scene like i think it would be really exciting to to try it in the more standard format and then one last thing is that the u.s mountain team i'd love to make the u.s mountain team and i've never made a u.s team before this is also new to me but it's really exciting and i I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much because I got them up a lot for 2020 and everyone knows what happened there. So yeah. Yeah.
0: Everybody's year was going to be 2020. It was like, this is the year.
1: This was the year. (laughs) This was the year for everyone. But you know, if that was to happen next year, we know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. And I know that I can still go for FKTs and I'll be just as excited. They'll just be a little bit bigger of FKTs
0: I think and just even like how innovative the golden series was in putting on a race like that's amazing right. like, it's Yeah, going be... to
1: me think that trails will happen in some form
0: and short races yeah. seem to be the ones that are happening like these road races you know with 30,000 people they're just like right we're gonna, yeah. not going to have a, we're not going to see those for a while i don't think but these smaller you know they are seem to figuring out a way to kind of stagger things or i guess cuz they just are on the mountain. They don't need to shut down too many roads or, or what that looks like. But sure. I love that. I think that's cool for those goals. And I saw the one is in Colorado Springs, right? The one. Pikes Peak,
1: yeah, Pikes Peak. is in Colorado Springs. So you basically run up a 14er and then you run down it. That is, so the race that I was telling you about my first trail race was half of that race. So you ran halfway up the mountain and then halfway down. So it'd be very interesting to run that one kind of a, like, going back to my roots and, and hopefully in a healthier way.
0: Yeah, that'd be, that'd be, that one seems really intense. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's, honestly, I have three picked out in Europe that I'd love to run, All and nice. if I'm not in the right place, I'd run pikes, but if I am holding top ten, I probably wouldn't run pikes, just for safety reasons, but, yeah.
0: And so to, to get to these goals, like, to make U.S. Mountain team, to, you know, compete with the best like do you think you're just on a p- appropriate trajectory and that it's going your results are gonna come along in in a progressive fashion or is there something that you that you want to do or that you think you can do to help like get those results like elevated
1: um I think I'm on the proper trajectory. I think the big thing is staying injury-free because unfortunately the last two years I've had three to four months out both years. So it'd be nice to have a healthy year and I think that would bring me closer to my goals than anything else I could do. So really just taking the proper steps to get there. That's the biggest That's the biggest thing right now. Yeah, yeah, I feel like my mindset is there. My, my coach is amazing. I have a support system, yeah.
0: And is it, is that going to be to become, to stay injury free? Is it going to be more about listening and doing proper rest? Or like the, you said, the nutrition piece is really important. Is there other things that you do that, or that you, that you need to do that are going to help keep you healthy?
1: Just staying on top of everything. I see my physical therapist usually once a week just to stay on top of everything. She does kind of like the typical ART mm-hmm. and dry needling. And I, my body has responded so well to that in the past. So that's a piece that I, I keep in there. And I think that that helps a lot with recovery and just staying on top of things. And I just want to stay well rounded, well rounded. So kind of improving the running piece, but I cross train a lot and that, that supplements things without the injury risk. So yeah.
0: Is it just like biking or swimming?
1: Yeah, I bike. I recently got a zwift and it's really fun. But <laughs> yeah, I bike outside too. So biking's biking's the biggest piece of cross training, but during the winter skiing as
0: well uphill. Oh nice. You'll do some uphill stuff?
1: Yeah, so I I've backcountry skied. I've been skiing since I was two. So I've backcountry skied before, but I've never actually done it for cross training specifically. So I'm kind of excited. Because we live super close to a uh, ski mountain now, so I'm kind of excited to get into that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean you're right. You're right there. Might as well. Yeah. Cool. And are you doing some coaching?
1: Yeah, I am. I um, I'm coaching a good chunk of athletes, and I'm absolutely loving it. It's been so amazing. I feel like I don't know. For me, it's like I have dealt with these coaches that I feel like harmed the sport more than they helped it and i feel like it's time for me to give back to the running community and really help people develop that love for running in a healthy and sustainable way and and it's been so amazing it's been
0: great right it's like that's a big piece of why i'm in this too. it's like i want to be the coach that i wanted
1: exactly that i the coach that i needed all along right. um that's <laughs> what i want to be and and yeah
0: really cool so where can people find you you have a website and uh where's the best place for people to get a hold of you
1: So my website, my last name is impossible to spell. I wrote wrote
0: it. it. Hold on. I wrote it down.
1: Okay. It's just www.baileykwalzik. Walzik,
0: right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 And then Instagram, it's just first name, last name. Email is, it should be on the website, but it's baileykcoaching at gmail.com.
0: Cool. So I'll link to all that in the show notes. Yeah, I had it written out phonetically here because I was like, I was like, I'm gonna nail this last name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is amazing because it is. Yeah, it's an ugly name, but it it's easier to pronounce.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. A lot of lot of consonants. What what do you get for this? Like, what do people say for your last name?
1: Kowalchik, Kowalsiak hmm. and Johnny is Koala koala he gave he gave up
0: he really just, he just shut it down <laughs> shut it down <laughs>
1: as
0: again appreciate you popping on uh, like i said i'll link to everything on the show notes and make sure people know where to find you in terms of your, your coaching and all that or if they just want to give you a follow because it sounds like you're gonna you are gonna have an awesome year just based off of the coming that short build and still doing so well in the golden series so i'm, I'm excited to follow along
1: Thank you. That, that's the hope. That is the hope. But yeah. Cool. So
0: I'm going to press stop on this. And we'll stay on that first initial screen. But that will be it for us today.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. All right. We'll see you. Bye.
0: All right. So that was awesome. Again, I love that convo. Bailey is really going to smash it this next season. So make sure to give her a follow in that trail scene. And again, thanks for checking in with the Reinforced Running Podcast. If you like what we were doing over here, you listen to the very end. I love that. I appreciate it. And I would really appreciate if you could drop a five-star review, maybe say something nice. That would be great. And again, if you want to gear up for dry January, stock yourself up with some athletic brews, head over to the website and use code RICHR20 to get 20% off your first order. Goodbye.